Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Amen. I hope the prayer of your heart to God is that it is well with my soul. I hope you have come to that place in your relationship with God where it is good and well with your soul. Today's message, the title is Game Over. And as we trek through this book of Revelation, which is one of the most incredible books in all of God's counsel, it's, uh, we hit a dark spot. It's in the early service, kind of like we lost power. It was a good way to start, man. It was a dark spot. And I like it in early service. I'm just going to tell you, the countenance in the early service is an early service countenance. So to have the lights off so I didn't have to see it, it freed me up to preach. All right? Now, y'all are not. See, y'all got that happy face, that glow going for you, some of you. And so I hope by the end of the service, you'll have a glow as you leave because I hope you'll be reminded of the greatness of the gift of Jesus, what it means in this day, and what it means for your eternal condition with God. And and so today we're going to look at the end of the wrath of God poured out upon the sinfulness of man. It's not the end of everything. That won't come for a few chapters, but it's the end of the the wrath of God being poured out upon obstinate, rebellious, sinful people. And in preparing this, it, it dawned on me that it's a picture of how serious God is about sin. And, uh, and, and, and I, I get that it's serious, but we play games with sin and, and we kind of have this idea that God doesn't take it that seriously. And I want you to know he's very serious about sin. And unconfessed, unrepented, uh, unforgiven sin, sin outside the blood of Jesus, there's a penalty due. And today's passage is kind of dark about God. And for an unbeliever, and even some believers, the argument will be made, well, now, I thought this was the God of, like, grace and mercy and love. This doesn't seem real gracey, merciful, and lovey-dovey, okay? And there's a reason for that. It's because the same God who is grace, mercy, and love, he is also just holy and righteous. And for sin to go unpenalized is an attack on his holiness and his justice. And so he always responds to sin. Sometimes we think, well, there's biggies and there's little sins. And, and, and so this is obviously when we read it, it's terrible. Obviously, this is God pouring out the penalty on the worst of the worst. Let me help you understand something about sin. Every sin is the worst of the worst. There is no good sin, bad sin. There is no small sin, big sin. It is all the worst of the worst. And sure, this is God pouring it out on all sin, and all sin being worse, the penalty is great. Now, let me tell you some of the revelation I had this morning coming to church. It's been raining, you know, for like two years, seems like, in my little world, okay? And uh, I, I rounded the corner down on Central Avenue Pike or whatever that's called there, and, and the sun was out, man, and my pupils, I don't think, they, they were used to a cloudy day, man, and the sun shot me right in the face, and I, I, it just seared my eyeballs. And in that moment, God reminded me, I'm right here. This is the greatness of who I am. 
And what I'm showing you today in Revelation chapter 16 is, is a picture of how much I hate sin. And then this dawned on me. Everything we see today has been poured out on Jesus on the cross for those who believe. For those outside of Jesus' grace, sacrificial gift on a cross, this is the judgment that is required. And in that, it dawned on me. Man, what Jesus did on the cross was bigger than you and I can ever understand. He took it all on himself on your behalf. And it's just beautiful. And it just kind of smoked me. So it's a special day. And then we got over here and the lights were out. So it's just been a good day altogether. All right. And so with that, we're going to talk about today what this looks like when God punishes sin outside of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so beginning in Revelation chapter 16 is where we're going to be and kind of get you up to speed. In chapter 1 of Revelation, we are introduced to the resurrected, glorified Jesus. He, he's no longer the, the Lamb of God. Now he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah of God. He, he was the servant, and now he's the king. And so no matter how dark it gets while we're reading this today, I want you to be mindful. Jesus is still king, okay? Uh, and, and no matter how dark it gets in God's word, we saw in chapter 13, Jesus is getting ready to show up. So no matter how dark your world is today, you just look up because Jesus wants to show up in your world, and I can assure you of that. Now, in Revelation, we saw Jesus introduced in one. We saw an introduction to the church of the ages, chapters two and three. Beginning of chapter four, the church is removed. It's called the harpazo, the catching away. The, 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 everybody that's born again is, is, is captured away to go to heaven. And those who have died in Christ, their bodies are reunited with their spirits. And we all go to heaven with Jesus. And we miss the seven years of tribulation. That's what, that's what we believe. Now, there are those who believe we go through the tribulation, and that's fine, but th that's, this is who, what, what we believe. And so, uh, and so the church is removed from the earth, and then as soon as that happens, there is what's called the seven years of great tribulation or woe upon the earth. Jesus said, Matthew 24, it's the worst time in the history, in the history of the world that it's ever seen or will ever see. Bad stuff. And in the first three and a half years, there's the false prophet and the Antichrist, the religious and political leaders. They show up, and they have all the answers. They say, hey, man, we, we've got peace for you. We've got provision for you. we got everything you need. And, man, the people are just, they're, they're hurting, and so they follow that. They desire that. So they jump in with both feet. At three and a half years of into the tribulation, the, uh, the Antichrist has rebuilt the temple. I mean, he's embracing the Jews and everybody. And he rebuilds the temple on the Temple Mount, which is now where an Islamic uh, temple, a mosque is called the Dome of the Rock. It's destroyed, and the temple of God is rebuilt. And then he, on, at three and a half years into the tribulation period, he steps into there, and he claims to be God, demands worship, and erects a monument to himself that is to be worshipped. It's called the Desolation of Abomination. And so everything is like at, 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 at changing. It's changing. And this is what we see. God begins to pour out the final seven judgments upon the world. If you'll remember, we had seven trumpets of judgment. Then we had seven angels blowing seven, excuse me, seven seals of judgment. Then we saw seven angels blowing seven trumpets of judgment. Now we're going to see angels pouring out seven bowls or vials of judgment. And this is what it looks like. I don't want you to get too lost in the darkness of it unless you are lost 
in your spirit. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know this is what God is saying to you. This is what you will experience. If you're saved, if you're part of the church, you won't experience this. You'll be in heaven. Revelation chapter 16 verse 1 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Now we're going to see what they're going to experience. What those left behind during this tribulation, what they will experience. The first word on the back of your worship guide is pain. Ain't nobody likes pain. This is what it looks like in verse 2. It says, the first angel, he went and he poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Ugly, festering sores. That's wonderful terminology, don't you think? Man, that'll get you stoked up right there. And, and, and so these, what happens, the, the bowl of wrath is poured upon the earth, and the earth is contaminated or poisoned. And of course, we're, we survive based on the fruit and the livestock or whatever of the earth. And because we take that into our body, or those that are left behind take it into their body, they're poisoned, and they have these ugly, festering, non-healing sores on their body. Now, you know what an ugly, festering sore does to you? It, it, one, it's ugly, so it's emotionally painful, okay? Two, it, it's infected, so it's physically painful. And so to lighten it up a little bit, I was thinking about it. What's the worst sore you have, you know? Nobody, everybody likes talking about their sores. I got a grandson, man. He's all about some boo-boos, all right? Papa, look, got a new boo-boo. And it starts out little, and he'll pick it till it turns into the size of a half dollar, you know? Then it's a good boo-boo, all right? And I was reminded back in the day when, when you turn about 16 and you go on your first date, okay, or your second date or whatever, and if it's a guy, you know, you, you're 16 years old, and if you're like most guys, you hadn't started shaving yet, but you still take a razor and strike off the peach fuzz from your face, and then you hose yourself down with green polo, okay? Today it's axe or whatever, okay? But you hose down, man, you're excited, you're getting ready for your date, and right at the last, you're getting ready to go on your first date, you look in the mirror, and you got a big old bump, like right on the end of your nose. And you're like, seriously? Seriously, Lord? Okay? And, and women, it ain't no big deal to you. You cake on a quarter inch of makeup, it goes away. But the dude is exposed, you know? And, and that's what, it's that. It's emotionally and physically miserable. That's what these people experience first. The second thing I want you to know that they experience is hunger. You see, when the, when the land is contaminated, lo no longer can you eat the food. So what do you do? You turn to a seafood diet because it hadn't been contaminated. Well, God has that under control too. Verse 3 says, the second angel now poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing in the sea died. So now, not only are you miserable physically and emotionally, now you're hungry, okay? We feed homeless people on Monday night, and, and uh, when it, a few weeks ago, it was going to be like 18 degrees. And I remember on the way down there, I looked at Daryl, and I said, I don't know if any people show up tonight. It's so cold, man. I don't think they'll come out of their tent. I don't think they'll come out from their place under the bridge because, man, it's freezing. We get down there, we fed about 170, and it dawned on me. What's worse than being cold? being hungry and cold, okay? There, hunger is something we don't know. Now, you may have experienced something in your life, a season of hunger, but you really don't know what's, what hunger like this is. There is nothing to eat, nothing to get to eat. We live in America. You are never really hungry because you are always close to provision. 
I mean, I can drive right around the world. Kroger's, man, it's open until like midnight. If they close, I'm a little late. Why I'm hungry at midnight, I don't know. Okay? But then you can go to Walmart 24-7. You've got, you got something to eat all the time. The closest we get to being hungry is when you turn 50 years old. Doctor says, you need a colonoscopy. Okay? You've got to go. You, you've got to fast and, and, and take this liquid that's going to blow your insides up. Okay, you got to do this. And, and then by the time you get your colonoscopy, I don't care if they tell you you got cancer, eat up with cancer inside, you're going to get something to eat because you are starving to death. That's what you say. Anybody ever say that? Man, I'm starving. <laughs> I'm looking around up in here. No, you ain't. Okay. And, and I'm not either. Okay. But here in this time, man, when God pours out wrath, they're hurting, they're eat up with these sores that are untreatable. They're hungry. I want you to, to, to notice next. They're thirsty. It says in verse 4, Now the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and, and who were. Verse 6, For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, True and just are your judgments. So now, as if it's not bad enough, now they have no water to drink. God contaminates the freshwater source. In this time, everything is uncomfortable. Everything is miserable. Why? Listen, because God hates sin. I want you to know that. If you hear nothing else, God is adamantly opposed to all sin. He hates all sin. The things we call little sins, the things we call big sins, he hates it all. It cost him his son's life on a cross. He hates it. So now they're hungry, they're thirsty, and it gets worse. Okay, right now, if I told you tomorrow your body's going to be eaten up with festering ugly boils, you won't get anything to eat for a duration that we don't know the end of, and you'll be thirsty, uh, how many of you, you say that's about as bad as it can get, right? Amen? No, it just gets going to get worse. He's just started pouring out these bowls of wrath. The next one, I, I think I would rather have a boil, be hungry and thirsty, a thousand times before we get to the next one. The next one is burn. He says in verse 8, he says, Now the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch the people with fire. And they were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. And I'll explain the depth of that in just a minute. So let's talk about the burn for a little bit. Anybody in here like to get burned? Okay. Anybody ever had a sunburn, a bad sunburn? They are no fun, okay? I'm going to give you a bad one. I, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a, a weenie when it comes to pain. I am a wimp, okay? And men, you can laugh at me if you want. You, most of you are too. That's the reason the women have the babies. If it was left up to men, procreation would have ceased at Adam and Eve, okay? So here's the thing. We moved back to Tennessee, and when I was in high school, there's a pizza place in Oak Ridge called Big Ed's. Anybody been to Big Ed's Pizza? Okay. I think they're going to have his pizza at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, so we had been gone for a long time, and, and, and we got back, and I said, and I told Kendra, I said, I want to go to Big Ed's. 
go to Big Eats. I hadn't been there in years. Well, I kind of forgot about their rubber cheese, okay? They got the stringiest cheese on the planet. And, 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 and when we got down there, it was real crowded. So we waited to get in. And then we waited for our pizza. And I was really hungry. I was starving to death. You know what I'm saying? I was starving, all right? They brought that pizza out there. And best I could tell by looking at it, it had been baked at like 1,400 degrees, okay? And, and I'm hungry. I'm starving, okay? And men, if you're starving, you, you, you're going to eat whatever it is. And it's there, and I finally got it loose, and I put that thing in my mouth, and I bit, bit into it. And a big string of cheese, about that long, swung around in the air and went, pow, right here. And it, I had the mark of the beast right here for about three weeks. It burned my face, a line on my face, and it hurt so bad. I'm telling you, it hurt. I mean, to this day when I go to Big Ed's, I, I kind of get a little, you know, uneasy, okay? Now, that's just a little burn, Okay, on my face. And it, the Bible says the sun will get so intensely hot that it will scorch mankind. Now, you're talking about global warming? That's what it looks like. Keep in mind, when it gets that hot, the glaciers of the world, the frozen water, it begins to melt. Rivers, oceans, seas, they all rise. Land mass begins to decrease. People get closer and closer together because lands are being flooded. That's what it looks like. And these people are now more miserable, miserable than ever, and they continue to curse God. Number five, I want you to see now they're in anguish. It says in verse 10, now the fifth, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in agony, and they cursed God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. They're gnawing their tongues in anguish. That's how bad it gets. Now, now here's why. Because he, he says that he poured it out on the throne of the beast. Keep in mind, these people have been absolutely loaded with hope. They believe that the Antichrist has all, they don't know he's the Antichrist, but this leader, the political and religious leader, they believe that they are going to provide everything they ever wanted in life, peace and provision and prosperity. It's all given at the hands of the false prophet and the Antichrist, okay? And now all of a sudden, everything changes. They, they, they reveal them, themselves for who they really are, and all of a sudden, the worst thing possible happens, they lose hope. And I want to tell you something. The only thing worse than having all of that affliction on your life is to lose hope and to think, there's, there's no relief for this. this. It's not going to get any better. So now all of a sudden, they're miserable. They are miserable. The sixth thing now I want you to see is anger. It says, now the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Interesting. Verse 13, then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God. Now, 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 let me explain something. It refers to this place called the River Euphrates. This is a real place. A real, a real river in a real land currently exists. The River Euphrates is a border to the nation of Israel. 
And since its inception as a nation, the enemy has attacked and tried to annihilate and eliminate the nation of Israel. Why? Because the enemy hates God and he can't harm God, so he harms those things that God loves. That's why he hates you as a believer, okay? That's why he, he attacks you, okay? That's why there's a spiritual warfare, because he hates those things that God loves. So nation of Israel has been under attack since it began, and there's a river called the River Euphrates, which is, which is served as a border of protection, especially when military attacked basically by land, and, and even now, it has served as a protective border. It says that it dries up. All right, now watch this. The river Euphrates, from its northern source of water, is Mount Ararat. It's located in modern-day Turkey. Mount Ararat is the mountain you probably have heard of before in the Old Testament. It is the mountain where Noah's Ark landed. And it is... Uh, geologists today say they know where it's at. They just can't get to it. It's buried in, in tons of ice, okay? One day, when the scorching heat of the sun begins to melt Mount Ararat, it will dissolve and it will flood the river boundaries. And then it will continue to be so hot that the Bible says the Euphrates River will be dry. And it will open a corridor for the enemy to move in from the east. Now, this is crazy how God does this. And there's a reason that he opens up wide the way for people to come to the nation of Israel to attack, or that's what they think. And I want to show you in a minute. In verse 15 now, he says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Shamefully exposed. And here it is, the word you've been looking for in the book of Revelation. It says in verse 16, it says, Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, who's heard the word Armageddon? You, know, you say, yeah, I watched a movie. It had Bruce Willis in it, right? That ain't the one we're talking about. Okay. Armageddon is a real battlefield. It will be a real war. And the word is Har-Mageddo. That's, the, that's where it gets its name. Har is mountain. Megiddo of destruction. It is the place where the war of all wars will happen. And it says here that, that, that the river is dried up to provide access for the enemy to come from the east. Who is the enemy from the east? Honestly, I don't know. Is it China, which, you know, have all these people? I, I, is it Russia? Yeah, probably. I, just some of all, I don't know. Okay? But it will be the the the... the the center of the war of the worlds, okay? Why? Why there? Why the Valley of Megiddo? The Valley of Megiddo is, is 20 miles by 40 miles, basically. And it's this plain with mountains around it. You can extend it and probably get it to be as long as 200 miles to, to, to its peak, but it's basically about 20 miles by 40 miles. Why? Why there? Here it is. Watch this. Because God introduced himself to mankind there. And when it's all said and done, God will finish his work there. Now, it will extend to the world just like his work among, men, among mankind did, but it all will culminate and end where it all began. And so it's a very real place 
and there's going to be a very real war. Napoleon Bonaparte in 1799, he ended up there. And this is his quote when he saw it. No place on the whole world is more suited for war than this. Okay? It's real, and it's coming. So the next thing I want you to see is now they're hardened, as if they weren't already. They are hardened. It says in verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Now, let me, let me explain something right here. Let me dive into this a little. He doesn't say it is finished. He said that once before. Remember, on the cross. What he did on the cross was his grace gift to all who would believe. To all that would place their faith in his gift, that was finished. If you're a believer, his payment for your sin is finished. For those outside of Jesus and his grace gift, here is where it gets paid for. And he says, it is done. You see, he's gonna, he is going to penalize sin. He either penalizes sin through Jesus, his son, or he penalizes mankind for the sin that they have done. Moving on to verse 18, says, then there came flashes of lightning. Now, this is, this is what it looks like when, <clears throat> when it's all said and done, and he says, hey, guys, it's done. It's over. Game over. This is how he finishes it up now. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake, the great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on the people, and they cursed God on account of the plague of the hell because the plague was so terrible. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit. We live in a world where people sometimes just want to hear about Jesus. They don't want anything to do with the gospel. You want to talk to them about God? Yeah, I ain't interested. Don't, you know, we'll talk about anything. Don't bring religion. Don't bring your God into this conversation. Anybody ever had a conversation like that? If you haven't, it's because you're not talking about Jesus enough. Because if you start talking about Jesus, you will hear those comments. Yeah, I don't want to talk about religion. I don't, yeah, whatever. Whatever's good for you. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear those, com those comments. Why is that? How can people reject God so much? How can people get to a place where God is so obvious and yet they deny his existence? How can people end up in a day where they look at the wrath that they're experiencing, and they know it comes from God, but they curse God anyway. These people who, who, are, um, who, who would claim to be atheist, uh, atheist, no God. I don't believe there is a God. Or agnostic, agnostic knowledge. There's not enough knowledge to really know God. Okay, those people, now all of a sudden they know there's a God because they, they know where this stuff is coming from, how do they get to a place where they say, there must be a God because look at what's happening, and yet I'm going to curse him and reject him anyway? The same way people today reject God. 
You see, God throughout time has tried desperately to reach into the world of humanity. He has tried desperately for years in the Old Testament. He did it through the words written in the Pentateuch given to Moses. Then he, then he sent prophets to proclaim the greatness of God. And then in the New Testament, he sends Jesus, his son, to, to fulfill everything the Old Testament said. And, and, and cl when he claimed to be God coming to save the world. And then when Jesus went back to heaven, he began to do it by sending his Holy Spirit. And, and he began to share the love of God through the church. And then in the New Testament, we'll see in the, during the tribulation time, he will send angels and prophets. He'll send 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And yet people continue to spurn and reject the love of God. How does that happen? It's a good question. And you may be here today, and you've rejected the love of God. You may be here today and say, well, I'm here with my family, or I'm here with a friend, but I don't really believe all that stuff. And, and, and I contend, and I am a believer. <laughs> you know, just go ahead and tell you that your preacher's a believer, okay? In case you wondered, how do you get to there? I don't understand. I, I, I don't understand. And you could say, well, you're gullible. Huh, I'm gullible going to heaven. Amen. I don't understand if, you, if you've ever, even if you closed your eyes and you heard a bird sing or you hear a baby cry. If you ever open your eyes and you see the flowers bloom in their radiant colors or you see a sunrise or a sunset, I personally don't understand how someone could say, well, all of that, Joel, is a product of billions of years of happenstance, circumstance, and evolution. Now, this isn't a message about evolution. This is a message about God revealing himself. And I want you to know today, you and I and every person that's ever walked on the planet one day we'll stand before God without any excuses, without any excuses. And you say, well, I don't know. And I want you to know that there's a place where God says, I will contend with you no more. I'm not going to work on saving you anymore. I'm not going to work on forgiving you anymore. It's done. You say, well, Joel, those, that's, those are harsh words. Listen what Romans chapter 1 says, beginning in verse 18. <clears throat> it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Because what can be known about God, it is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes and his eternal power and his divine nature, they have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. <clears throat> Did you hear that? If you have eyes to see or ears to hear or a mind to consider, God has made himself real to you, and you choose to embrace or reject that revelation of who he is. Now watch this. 
It says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor did they give him thanks. But they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, listen, this is the sad part. Therefore, God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity. Some translation say, says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So when you meet somebody sometimes and, man, they're so firmly set against God. It may be that God has washed his hands of them and said, I reached out to you, and I reached out to you, and I reached out to you, and I'm not going to reach out to you anymore. And I give you over to the desires of your heart. I want you to know today that if you've never surrendered to Jesus, and you feel him tugging at your heart like only he can do. And you feel something deep within you that's crying out, I need that God in my life. A, a man, a preacher, cannot penetrate into the depths of your soul and speak like that. The Holy Spirit of God is the one that does that. And if he's doing that to you today, I would suggest an urgency about the proper response to receive what he's wanting to give you. Don't miss the opportunity to be considered a child of the Most High God adopted in the blood of Jesus. That's the only way we can ever be a child of God. It's through Jesus, his son. There is no alternatives. Now, told you a few weeks ago that when it gets darkest in scripture and when it gets darkest in our world hang on don't give up just look up because Jesus wants to show up and when Jesus shows up it's good now we're going to leave this little passage right here that's very dark <clears throat> it's the wrath of God on sinfulness against those who are unrepentant and unforgiven those left on the earth outside of Jesus. And man, they're crying out to God. They're, they're crying out against God. They're wanting a war. They say, hey, rally the troops. <clears throat> we're going to meet at Megiddo. And we're going to stomp out the thing that God loves. We're going to wipe out Israel once and for all. So God cannot finish or complete his work that he began way back in the Old Testament. So we're all going to go over there. And we're inviting the whole world to this war. Okay? And they all show up for the war expecting victory. What they don't know is it's a trap. God is still on his throne. God will not be mocked. He has a plan that's bigger than they see coming. And the final word I want you to see is destroyed. You see, there's a God who's real. 
You know he's real. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you know God's real. Everybody knows God's real. This week, I took my little grandson to school. He's three and a half. <clears throat> and I'm going up the road, getting ready to let him out. He says, hold on, Papa." I said, what, buddy? He said, I almost forgot. I said, what'd you almost forget? Put his little hands together. He said, I play for Colin, for Miss Carrie. He started naming the people in his class. He's three and a half. He knows God's listening. And he knows God's there. And God will not be mocked. What I'm getting ready to show you, they never saw this coming. They never saw destruction coming. Have you ever, have you ever been beaten? And it was so far out of color that you couldn't understand it. Maybe in a sport, whatever, and you were defeated and you never saw it coming. Several years ago, we took students to a mission trip to Indiana, which we used to take a bunch of kids to mission trip. And at this time, mixed martial arts was really a big thing. And every student in the youth group wanted to fight somebody. Being the wonderful youth pastor I am, I let them. We had some rules. You can't kill each other because I'll have to answer to your mama, okay? But I'm going to let you fight. But if I say stop, stop. <clears throat> we had a kid in the youth group. His name's Kenton. One of the most agile people I've ever known. I would liken him to an anaconda. And I had another kid in the group who, who was more like a koala bear. And the koala bear said, I'd like to fight. I said, okay, bro. I'm thinking, you can't fight your way out of a sack. So who you want to fight? He said, Kenton. And I, along with others, said, you do? He said, yeah. I said, you sure? He said, yeah. Kenton took his shirt off. I said, okay, go. Kenton flew on Wesley like a spider monkey. He was up on top of him, had his legs wrapped around him. He was putting him to sleep. And I was waiting for Koala Boy to tap out. And all of a sudden, when, when everybody thought it was game over and the least expected, or the, the one who was supposed to lose was going to lose, he bent over, spinned around in a circle, and next thing you know, he's got Kenton tied up and Kenton's tapping out. And it happened in less than five seconds. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, you are real. And everybody was amazed. Ken's brother, Tyler, says, I just don't get it, Joel. I said, I know, it's kind of weird. He said, no. He said, Kenton had him all tied up. And in just a few seconds, he had him tapping out. Wesley's brother showed up. He was standing there. He says, hey, don't worry about it. He's been taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu since he was five years old. Now, listen, Tyler said, Brazilian jiu-jitsu? He was playing the piano 20 minutes ago like you can't do both. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. When you least expect it, there's one who you might least expect who's going to come in and take care of some business. And just like Wesley Shoup could play the piano and perform Brazilian jiu-jitsu, there's a King Jesus who can love and grace and mercy every environment. 
And at the same time, when wrath and justice and judgment is due, he's going to bring it home. Now watch this. Revelation 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and wages war. And his eyes were like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he's dressed in a robe that's dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come and gather together to the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the king of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider of the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. And with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And the rest were killed by the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all of the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. I want to tell you something. There's an enemy and he's bad and he's a deceiver and he's a a liar and he is a lion seeking to devour. But there is one other and his name is Jesus and he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and he's in a robe that's dipped in the blood of the saints and one day he's coming And he'll put an end to every evil thought, every evil being. He will annihilate them. And everyone who rejected Christ, he will judge. And I want to tell you, he saved me when I was a little boy. He's saving me right now. And a billion years from now, that's the Jesus that I'll be following as my king. And so when we saw last week that there's 144,000 who follow the lamb, they just follow the lamb. Church, listen to me. We got to be a church that's about following the lamb. And that's who the lamb is. And I want you to know, no matter what happens in your life, if you're a child of God, Jesus, that Jesus It's standing nearby. He's waiting to show up and take care of your darkness, okay? And if you're outside of that, my challenge today is this. Don't wait another minute. Don't play another religious game. Surrender your life to Jesus before it's too late. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here and maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe this is your first time in church. I want you to know God loves you. Jesus died to save you. 
and he wants a relationship with you that's bigger and greater than you can possibly know. And maybe this is the day that the Holy Spirit of God has spoken into your heart and said, hey, I love you and I want you to be mine. If you feel that today, that God is calling you out and he's inviting you to him and offering himself to you and you feel like you need to respond to that, would you just slip your hand up so I can see you? I won't call you out. I won't come and get you. I just want to pray for you. If today you need to receive Jesus into your life, raise your hand. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you've already received that gift, but you have not lived for him like you should. And you feel like this is the day that you need to begin a brand new journey with that God. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to start my journey all over again. Amen. 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 You can put your hands down. Join me in prayer, Lord God, for those that may be lost today. I ask that you'll continue to work in their heart. God, I pray that you will stir in them something that cannot be solved, that cannot be resolved, that cannot be pacified, that cannot be answered by anything or anyone else other than Jesus, your son. I pray, God, that that will burn in them and they won't be able to run away from that, that they will have to make a definitive declaration about where Jesus is in their life. God, for those that raise their hand, that they've, they've kind of squandered the journey, they haven't been living sold out for you, the king of the world. God, I pray that this will be the moment when they drive a stake in and say, on that day, I gave him back my life and I started to live for Jesus once again. God, I pray as we move forward that we will all be more engaged in our spiritual journey than ever before. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.